love, a knowing unfolding like a lotus, instimacy, that undeniable taste when one's gaze is graced by the beloved, the taste of truth, the truth of youth, the youth of love. The fountain. She saw him sitting, eyes closed yet glistening, listening to the rivers within, waiting on the waters of the heart, lifted by the breath above clouds of doubt into unknown zones of knowing. And she knew. Pavarti played sweet songs for her beloved, but he could not hear her notes, for his ears were tuned to the frequencies of rest alone. She brought sweet cakes, but he could not smell them, for he had risen above the scents of this world. She danced, trance, romance, passion, her movements undeniably attractive, beautiful, radiant, provocative, whispering like a breeze mere inches from his presence, but Shiva did not flinch, for he was not there. And so she left, unseen, unheard, unsensed, unknown, unloved. Pulled by the weight of her sinking heart, she descended from his mountaintop perch to a flowering field of her homeland, and she sat. Pavarti sat. She softened her gaze, quieted her mind, and silently danced to the drumming of her heart. She rose on the winds of her breath to a place beyond space. She climbed above the towers of time without moving. She ascended to heavens known only through stillness. And Shiva saw Pavarti there. And he knew. Instimacy that undeniable taste when one's gaze is graced by the beloved, the taste of truth, the truth of youth, the fountain that flows, knows, and unfolds the lotus of love. Oh, Lord you are supreme because Mother Ganga is sitting on your Salutations from space and aloha from Earth. This is Gemini Brett, astronaut of more than astrology, and storyteller of this here storytelling podcast. 
Today is Sunday, the day of the sun, of the light. September 11th, 2016. It is 8.44 p.m. and I am reporting from the shores of West Seattle's Lincoln Park with the first degree of Taurus on the rise. And Pluto exact at the midheaven. Nearby a beautiful egg moon, a waxing gibbous moon, almost perfectly trine the sun, a Capricorn moon, and an earth trine to the Virgo sun. We're a few days from a full moon, a penumbral eclipse. And I love this moon phase, this few days before full moon. I was born a few days after full moon. So it's the same shape as my moon. In a way, I feel it complementing my moon as it's that same shape, but the other side illuminated, showing itself at a different time of night. And yet, really, the complement to my moon four days after full moon would be four days after new moon, that waxing crescent that would fit like a puzzle piece into my moon shape and find completion. Perhaps it will be one born four days after new moon. That is my soulmate. The phase of the moon is so beautiful and so key. Do you know your phase? We often celebrate our lunar return when the moon comes to the same degree of the zodiac where it was when we came in. And I'm not saying we should not, I do. It's a beautiful thing. At that time, the moon will show you where your moon was in space. It could be well above or well below, depending on latitude, and that's a tale for another time. But also, every month, the moon comes to your natal phase. It's a wonderful thing to celebrate. It's a wonderful thing to be with the moon on that night and just dig that geometry. Now, you might be born at new moon time or the day before or after when the moon can't be seen. And that's cool. If you want to know the phase of the moon that you were born into, be with the sun. Or perhaps it was an eclipse, and then you might have to wait a little bit longer and travel around the world to dig that imagery. You would be one of these special, magical, in my world, lucky ones. The phase of the moon is a symbol of relationship, no? And so with Taurus on the rise, this sign known to be one of Venus's homes, with Venus herself in Libra, and Jupiter having recently ingressed Libra, which is inspiring this short series of podcasts, 
and this idea of love and relationship on the mind. I thought it would be fun to start with that starry story you heard at the top. And that, by the way, was just featured on a mix by my friend Christian, Playa Duster, who makes amazing dance mixes that you can hear if you search Playa Duster on SoundCloud here. Or check out DestinationBurningMan.com. I was honored last year to be asked by Christian to speak some words about love and my experience of love and the beloved and similar themes, um, summer festivals. And it was funny, he just posted that and sent me a note about it on Facebook, so I was able to kind of scroll up and see when the last time we spoke there was, and I got to see this message was like, whoa, hey man, did you write that yourself, and how'd you get it back to me like two hours after I asked, and, and it was fun to see that, I was like, well, that's interesting, I kind of don't even remember it, and I saw that it was September 15th, 2015, just about a year ago, and of course, I ran the chart, and moon was conjunct Venus in Libra, very close to my Mercury. You see? And my Mercury, though, is conjunct Pluto. And the moon tonight is conjunct Pluto, not conjunct Venus. In fact, Venus now in Libra is square to Pluto. The moon coming in in a way to shine some light on that, to even emphasize that. And so we might want to speak about the power of love, Pluto and Venus, the tensions, the evolutionary shakeup, the broken open heart. We might want to speak about grounding that quest for the divine partner and the beloved into reality, into practice, earthing it. This Capricorn moon with Pluto, square Venus, shining Virgo light in this beautiful trine. And we might want to speak about sacred marriage and our relationship to earth and to spirit. We might want to look to the new moon of this cycle, which in a way was the new moon for the six months to come because it was the solar eclipse, and we get two of those a year, September 1st, 2016, a Virgo solar eclipse, 9 degrees, 21 minutes, across from Neptune, 
North node solar eclipse across from Neptune at the south node. Square, Mars, and especially Saturn, and Sagittarius. And I'm very interested in some of the asteroids got, got involved. And I think we'll share some of that today. So this beautiful Earth trine reflected in the Capricorn moon yet also aligned to this strange one called Pluto in this Venus-Pluto square. And in this theme of 13 months of Libra-Jupiter, we see that he ingressed in the eclipse cauldron, in the time between the September 1st solar eclipse and the September 16th lunar eclipse. And today marks the end of the 10-month exact dance of Saturn square Neptune. Last night I came and stood on this beach and recorded a couple hours about that time and I might share it as the next episode of this series. I might re-record or I might allow that energy to pass and address that square more in the Prophecy of Prometheus series that is ongoing. Where I'm really focusing on the unfoldment of the heavy aspects in our time and the symbol of 9-11. Of course, today is 15 years since that treachery that changed the world. And at some point here, we'll have a moment of silence. For now, we'll just hear these waves rage. There was no land, would there be waves? May we envision Saturn as the land and ocean as Neptune. This turbulent place where they're meeting right now and crustaceans are being tossed about. Perhaps as that square between Saturn reality and Neptune the dream. And while I think it's important for us to honor that tension and what it means for us now and to look at that Saturn-Neptune cycle that was seeded with their conjunction in 1989 and see how it's developed since and see how Jupiter has been involved as he very much is now. Instead of focusing on the difficult aspects of that alignment, 
of that conversation, of seeing how it's shown up in many ways in our experience. I think today, to hold this light of love, it might be more interesting to speak of the beautiful opportunity that opens for us with this third quarter phase of the Saturn-Neptune dance that was seated in 89 and now at the third quarter or waning square years of wisdom perhaps will open that will help us understand ways in which we can release the obstacles that would keep us from manifesting the true vision of higher beauty into our reality to feel into belief and the nature of seeking and seeing and experiencing and releasing the obstacles surrender allowance receiving and perhaps most importantly, of hope, of faith. These planets are all in it together, you see. So we can classify some as bad and some as good, okay. I don't think they mind lending themselves to that classification energetically if that's how we will best unfold. I think they are so multidimensional that they're available in any way we might call them for. I spoke last time about Jupiter and Saturn in this relationship and this image of our spiritual quest as a hot air balloon ride into the sky. And that Jupiter is that air that lifts us up, but would not if it were not for Saturn, for he, she is the very fabric of the balloon that holds the air. And also that wicker basket in which we ride. Neptune is the destination. Neptune is all of the air and perhaps even the cosmos beyond that we are seeking to break through into. Neptune, very interestingly, I find to be perhaps the planet with the most polarized, or I should say dualistic, point of view from the way astrologers express Neptune. And that was an incredibly Neptunian sentence (laughs) that maybe made no sense. So let me just say that some suggest Neptune is this beautiful, higher, spiritual, hope, faith, connection, 
boundarylessness, source energy, we are all one. And some go for confusion, delusion, the great fog, and away this enemy that would keep you living in some false world. Delusion. Well, attachment to the dream is the mother of disappointment. Delusion. But this does not mean we should stop dreaming. In this Saturn-Neptune square that's been around, their first exact alignment was Thanksgiving Day 2015. It's not something I think we are meant to ignore. Another exact alignment. I think it was June 17th, 2016. So close to summer solstice. And we had that summer solstice full moon this year, didn't we? And then their last alignment was September 10th here in the West Coast and the East Coast, but Greenwich Mean Time, 9-11-2016. And I don't believe there are coincidences anymore. I used to. And then I began studying astrology. Jupiter as that great expansive force lifting us in our spiritual quest. Saturn, the fabric that allows the balloon to be filled. Neptune, in so many ways, the destination point. Unseen. Invisible. Unknowable. Pluto, the same, but perhaps in the other direction. Pluto, that feeling we might not be able to suppress that seems to take a hold of us, that fear that this thing might just go down. We're going to run out of fuel. Some storm will come and we will fall from the sky and drown in that great dark sea below. A very powerful essence that. Uranus, the one that moves between these worlds. Uranus, the very inventive, innovative, revolutionary impulse that said, you know, we could fly. Hot air rises. We could put it in a balloon, you see. We could leave this ground and head for the heavens. Like a bird. Uranus, also that very storm, that lightning bolt, which might just strike us and knock us back to the ground. Chiron, perhaps the greatest lesson we learned 1,700 lifetimes later of why that was the greatest thing ever for us in our long spiritual journey. (laughs) And much more than that. Isn't it fun to cast the planets as characters in these little dream sequences? 
Do you know that sometimes Uranus is visible? I mean, you've got to be in really, really dark skies. You've got to know where to look. Uranus has to be particularly close to Earth, which means the middle of the Uranus retrograde when he's brightest. I have not yet seen Uranus with my naked eye, but I promise you I will continue to try. And I have a great feeling this will happen before my eyes close. And this mortal coil. Sometimes visible. So do you see how Uranus is this great transmitter of the unseen energies? Neptune, perhaps above, and Pluto below, here into the reality world, where the skin is Saturn. Uranus as that lightning bolt to blow up the structures we once knew to make room for the spiritual energy of Neptune, those waters to flow in. This, it has been said, is Uranus as Mars, blasting apart the old structures, that lightning bolt of the tower card, so the false tower can crumble and fall, and so do we. But now we have an opportunity to righteously build one that is truly ours from its crumbled bricks. And where did the lightning come from? And then Uranus shifts to take the Saturn world, which is also the Saturn, Jupiter, Mars, Earth, Venus, Mercury, Moon, Sun world, back to the unseen. Yo, Neptune, check it out. These people are crazy. They have words and bodies and tables. Hands, trash cans, flagpoles, spotlights over salt water swimming pools and such. If you want to speak to them, you're going to have to learn some language, Jack. So Uranus comes from the unseen in this kind of Martian way to break apart the old structures to make room for the spiritual essence and then turns in a way into the great higher octave of Mercury to head back out in space to speak with the invisible ones about what the visible place is all about. And this, right, is relationship. So it fits our theme. Is this love? What is the relationship between reality and the dream. Is this also love? 
What is the relationship between the sun and the moon? Between the spirit and the soul? Is this also love? And it was interesting to hear this Shiva Parvati poem, I guess I'll call it that, I recorded for Christian when he sent this mix. I'd listen to it on a bike ride on Venus's day, Friday. And I was like, oh, that was far out. And I do love that word, instami, see? <laughs> that stumbled into me at the festivals when I realized how beautiful it is when people gather with open heart, which means not just lovey-dovey, but also I'm not afraid to show you my pain, and I'm not afraid to ask for understanding and to expect you also to be authentic. I'm not afraid to gaze into the eyes of a stranger deeply and to see myself in there. In Lakeshya, I am another yourself. So the festival teachings <laughs> was a lot different when I was this touring musician back in the day. The festivals themselves out here that I've begun attending in the last few summers and playing music at and speaking about the stars and whatnot. Very different and I'm a rather different person. And may I be able to say that also in three years, five years, and ten years. But rather Neptunian the way that I transmitted that story. And to make sure that it gets across, and perhaps you are familiar with this meeting of Pavarti and Shiva. But if not, though I'm not such a fan, you know, of telling stories about stories, we are going to do some of that today. I mentioned in the first episode, too, that I would get back to Galahad. And that's on our evening's agenda. Oh, but for now, the aliens are coming. And that is an alarm for 9-11 p.m. on 9-11-2016, this great nine-year. And so maybe we can sit and have a moment of silence. The 13th degree of Taurus is now on the rise. It's Sabian symbol. A porter carries a heavy burden.
How rapidly and drastically did our world fall apart with that tragedy? Fifteen years ago. I feel that number 15 in the tarot, the number of the devil. Pluto now retrograde in the 15th degree of Capricorn where the moon met him today. Halfway along this about 15 year journey through the sign of Capricorn, Pluto ingressed in January of 2008 and won't leave for good until 2024 but will split for some time in 2023, getting a taste of the Aquarian degrees before retrograding back in for some unfinished business, perhaps. Pluto, the hidden hand, the shamanic shakeup, addressing the very nature of structure itself, Capricorn, the roots of the world tree. And the tree will not reach the heavens until those roots have tasted the waters of the hell. Realms. That dark, suppressed stuff. Many would say these happenings in the outer world are merely reflections of our inner chaos. I find this, whether or not it's true, to be a very productive avenue for clean up on Isle Brett. I have found that as I have addressed some of my inner chaos that the world without becomes more harmonic and still there's a lot of pain in my heart and I look now to Antares the scorpion's heart and his somber ringed ones Saturn spinning above and Mars the moon pulling the archer's string close to this star Nunki, which has a kind of bad rap, you know. <laughs> but we were going to talk about love. And I look now to the heavenly goat and the stars of the water bearer and smile in hope as I hear within the prophecies of old that speak to the dawning of a new age. And then here come the Pokemon Hunters. <laughs> I hope maybe you listen to episode 1.5 of this short series, The Golden Mirror, a way to work with our judgments instead of denying them or judging ourselves for judging, but instead to work with them 
it's a sacred process. And in the end, to not stop there in the reflection of inner turmoil and cleaning that up, but to then bring it to love. So Pavarti saw Shiva, and it was that intimacy. She knew he was the one for her, but he could not see her because he was deep in these transcendent states. The goal of enlightenment, the only way couldn't hear her, smell her, feel her. And so she left disheartened. And she sat not because she was trying to find the place where he was traveling, but perhaps because this love that she felt for him was also a love for his love for the quest. And she sat and breathed and ascended rapidly. So rapidly, perhaps, that he would have felt envy if he knew that it didn't take her long to reach the same level of the song where he finally saw her and when he did, intimacy, love. If you listen to the Golden Mirror, I didn't share what the reflection of beauty was. Hello. Hello. How you doing? All right. Those, my friends, were Pokemon hunters. And if you listened to that episode, you got to hear my judgment of them flashing these bright lights around this sacred space, not dropping in with the owls. It's funny, I was going to record just podcast after podcast that night. And instead, speaking of this, seeing in myself these judgments of them not taking time to connect to this beautiful place but instead staring at their phones <laughs> and knowing that I was doing the exact same thing but looking at planetary research I had mapped out rather than Pokemon hunting. I decided instead to stop recording to sit in a grove of redwoods where we are heading now. And I sat there for some time and the owls came. And so that judgment of others that I saw as a reflection of my own judgments of self, I allowed instead of being a double negative, hating myself or hating others, I allowed it to be an avenue to come more into a way that I would appreciate myself for, i.e. sitting in the trees. But then, you see, the golden mirror comes next. What is beautiful in these beings? And I will say 
that every Pokemon hunter that I've spoken with in this park over the course of the last 10 days or so has been entirely friendly and very stoked to share what they are doing. Because you have to know, inquisitive as I am, and judgmental as I am, I ask. And you heard those two fellows as they walked by. There's this thing that folks here call the Seattle Chill. <laughs> and it's, I think, pretty we real. I don't know that it's only tuned to this neighborhood, <laughs> this city, this weather. I will say Portland tends to be a little more amiable, but I find sometimes, and I always try, it's kind of a running experiment, plus I love people, that I always try to make eye contact when I walk by people in the park and say hello. And there are so many times I say hello with no response. Which is just rude. And you get this feeling like you are the rude one for having broken up their space. And yet even here, aren't we hearing <laughs> the judgments from me of the Pokemon people? And we heard these two guys, hello, how you doing? Now granted, it is like pitch black on this forest path where I am now. The moon is hidden in tall trees. And so we might want to say what's up and make sure this dude talking to himself <laughs> is not crazy enough to just mug us. But I don't think that's true. You heard the hearts of those two gents. They're having fun out here. They're involved in this game. And they're doing it together. I have seen very few Pokemon people going solo. And when we're speaking about Libra, and relationship, well, here I'm the one speaking to myself. No offense. The truth is I'm speaking to you, and I'm speaking to the planets, because sharing in this way also opens me to receive. That's the prayer. This is how I learn astrology. So the Pokemon peeps encouraged me over the last couple days to feel the reflection of their beauty in a partnership, in a friendship, in a collaboration, to see families out here hunting them pokies together. And though I have not started hunting Pokemon on my cell phone, the last few days I've made sure that I wasn't only connecting with people over Skype and the phone to do readings, but that I was in physical contact with good friends. And next week, I will be heading to the Imagine Festival on Orcas Island to play some saxophone, to lead a meditation for the eclipse, and to present about eclipses and precession and some of these themes. And I'll be surrounded by a community of amazing beings that are in no way Seattle chill, although they're very chill people.
when the Seattle cloud comes to eat the sky for some time, I often feel like hitting the eject button. But this community of amazing beings would be very hard for me to leave. That I am sure. This poverty and Shiva story is one that I often like to tell when I see a Venus-Mars combination in cardinal and mutable signs, especially if that mutable sign is Virgo or Sagittarius, which tend to be more open to renunciation. Sag, the seeker on the spiritual path, literally Shiva sometimes, covered in ash, chanting, seeking enlightenment. And we all know Sag can be very fiery and social in these things too and outgoing. But in this quest for the philosopher's stone, sometimes the path is best walked alone. You might have heard me call Sagittarius the smoke that rises from the fire as it travels far and wide, exploring these many realms and takes its own path to the heavens. Virgo as the priestess, alone in the woods. Her in the tree, because that is the antenna to her goddess, to her god. And so it is a devoted relationship, but to the temple of the body, to spirit itself. That's right, Virgo is not some OCD computer programming <laughs> judgmental, cynical dot 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 that trash astrology would ask us to believe. This is what happens when the priestess was either destroyed as the sorceress was or converted into some nun, into some vestal virgin who would be buried alive for breaking oaths of chastity. And we retrieve our true Virgo in this independence, in this direct connection to earth, to spirit, whatever that means for us and us alone. And sometimes, therefore, it can be a kind of aloneness energy. So Virgo and Sag, especially, I find, in the relationship categories, and I have Virgo and Venus, so of course this is also my projections of my own experience in the world. Um, I also have Venus and Virgo, vernacular. But that's kind of the trip. Daniel Jamario, Shamanic Astrology, which to me has the greatest presentation of the 12 tribes, the signs, the archetypes, finds that Virgo and Sagittarius are the two often most renunciate. So on the other side, if it's cardinal, and there I would say, especially Libra and Cancer, we have this other scene really reaching for relationship. And projection warning, I have Venus and Virgo and Mars and Cancer. And so why am I speaking about Venus and Mars? Because this is where we look at shamanic astrologers, and of course we are not the first and will not be the last because it is a core truth to the sacred relationship project that Venus represents our divine feminine and Mars our sacred masculine. And we all have this. And men will tend to project their Venus until they get the point 
often through the broken mirrors that come around again and again because we're not meant to be projecting our inner other, we're meant to be integrating it. And instead of looking without to find completion, we complete ourselves, and then can welcome our complement. And it is my feeling that those who are in a true external soulmate twin flame type relationship have done this type of work in their soul's lineage, completed this type of work. And that perhaps also they'll start anew with a blank slate next time they come around. Who's to say if we even do? So when I see a situation like mine, Mars and Cancer and a Virgo Venus, the nurturing mother as the masculine energy. And my Mars trines a Scorpio sun, reflecting Scorpio light. There's a lot of passion here. But that side of me always longed for this partnership, for this family, you know, for someone to call my baby, to take care of these kinds of things, yeah? Which is the archetype of the 12 that is going to be most resistant <laughs> to that type of mothering, smothering? Virgo, yes? Maybe Sagittarius, maybe a little the Aquarius, yeah? So Cancer Mars and Virgo Venus has been a pretty interesting study with that Venus at the exact midpoint of a Sun-Saturn waxing first quarter square. Yada, yada, yada. Let's not trip so much about me. Why do I mention all of this? Because on the date of Jupiter's Libra ingress, September 9th, 2016, in the midst of this eclipse cycle, Solar eclipse September 1st in Virgo. Lunar eclipse September 16th in Pisces. Incredible alignments on both sides. We see this beautiful sextile between Venus and Mars. We see Venus waiting for Jupiter in Libra, welcoming the gas giant guru to her home rolling out the red carpet. Maybe drawing a rose petal bath for the dude. I mean, like, yo, this is a place of beauty where it is always sunset and there is always music in the air. This is a place of peace and harmony where the quest is for love and balance. And you know... I see that things have been unkept since I last came home and the world is not as balanced as we would like for it to be. Maybe you could hang out for some time and bring your expansion and that gigantic eye of the Good Father and look into these ways of love and relationship and partnership and communication and harmony peace 
and they will cohabit for a little while. But before the next new moon comes around, at the end of this month, on September 30th, conjunct Jupiter and Libra, Venus will be out, off into Scorpio space. Mars, shortly after, will leave Sagittarius, where he's been for some time, out into Capricorn, maintaining this Venus-Mars sextile. Sextile, 60-degree alignments between the same polarity or gender. So now, between Libra, Air, and Sagittarius, Fire, the Venus-Mars sextile, said to be the yang, diurnal. And at the end of the month, Venus and Scorpio, Mars and Capricorn, water and earth, said to be the yin, nocturnal. You see, so the trines, like tonight's Capricorn moon and Virgo sun, align in the same polarity Your gender, if you don't mind me using this word, that's becoming hard to say in so many communities. In the same element. The sextiles stay in the same gender, but a different element of the gender, as in earth to water or fire to air. All right? Many of you knew that already. Many of you are like, huh, cool. That's easy. Many of you are like, what the hell is that dude talking about again? All right, so let me get back to the story. When Jupiter ingressed Libra, Venus was waiting for him there. And Venus at the time was in a very strong sextile to Mars. Venus and Libra, Mars and Sagittarius. Mars, who, if you've been watching the sky, tuning into my sharings and those of everyone who wears the starry hat, has been doing this thing with Saturn for some time. And in a way, on August 24th, when they conjuncted, he finally broke through. Freed himself to explore Sagittarius, perhaps beyond the limitations of the rules and the elders that would try to keep our spiritual, seeking energy constricted to some structure or methodology. And also imparting the wisdom of here are some beautiful methods and structures to do that thing. Here is the true Chiva chant. This is the correct ash to wear when you go sit on the mountaintop. You see, so this sextile, which is said to be a very benevolent and beautiful participation between the planets, and I could break out the compass and square and draw you some pictures to show why this is, and it has to do, if you've played with sacred geometry, it has to do with the seed of life, where you will find the conjunction and the sextiles and the trines and the oppositions, but you will not find the squares. You will not find the semi-sextiles and the quincunks or inconjuncts either. Hmm... It takes two sixes, two seeds of life phased one to the other to bring us the table of 12. 
And that's as much as I care to share about that for now. So this sextile between Venus and Mars at the time of Jupiter's ingress, which is like this birth chart, okay, for this Jupiter-Libra time, September 9th, 2016, till October 10th, 2017, 999 till 10-10-10. There's harmony between the feminine and the masculine. And yet Venus and Libra, with the love of partnership, more than any of the other signs, yeah? The I want to be seen through the eyes of another. My other. Yeah? And Mars, I want to see the truth of God, of Goddess. I want to rise like the smoke, see the world, go beyond the sky, and see, so there's this poverty, Shiva thing here, yeah? She sees him, she's looking for love in all the right places, but he cannot see her. Because he's looking for source. And that feeling to see beauty and not be seen. That death, that moment in the breath between inhaling and exhaling. I look to the moon right now and there's just tears in my eyes. It's so beautiful. The rabbit in the moon. There's a story of the moon in Cellini who saw this shepherd in Demion and just fell in love for this one that she could not have because he lived in a different world. He was a real man. She was a goddess. But she cast a spell upon him. and arranged for others to care for his flock while he slept and slept so they could dance in his dreams. Is this why poverty went and sat? Did she have this agenda to make him love her? I don't believe so. I think that she too sought something higher and was rewarded in that quest to also find love. And, you know, they've been together ever since. It wasn't always easy because sometimes Shiva was like, yo, I gotta go get some ghee, right? I'll be right back, head into the store. And then like 2,000 eons later, he comes back because on the way there, he was like, Oh, it's a really interesting frog. Oh, I should transcend. (laughs) Just forgetting about this real world, forgetting about 
that partnership in these kinds of things. She had to manifest a child for herself to protect her from all the suitors that were knocking down the doors. Yeah? And this was Ganesha, who was guarding mom when Shiva came back around, and he did not know this was his son. So he cut his head off. And later, as we know, found an elephant mother who decided to give her child for this merging of the elephant head and the God body. Om Gam Ganapataye Ganesha, yeah? So, this feeling, you know, this quest for partnership that can really come alive when Libra is expanded as Jupiter will this year. We see that beautiful sunset. Have you ever been there and you just reach for someone's hand next to you and you're alone? And it's like, wait, what? Oh, remember those days? Can you feel that hand of the one you're calling forth? And how is that done? If this is what we seek, how do we manifest that partnership into the world? And not sabotage it once it comes around. Some of us excel at both, it would seem. And therefore, neither. And is there a way to find inner completion, this hero-skymos, this sacred marriage, this great work? Does the art of the chart, does the song of the soul, our natal chart, our nativity, show paths that help us complete ourselves in this way so that we may welcome our complement? The answer to that last question, by the way, is yes. Women, know your Mars within. Men, know your Venus within. Blend that essence with the archetype of your descendant. And give me a call. Let's do a sacred marriage reading. I'll give you a whole strategy and timelines and stuff. Okay. I personally have this amazing relationship with Vega. (laughs) And have for a long time. And Polaris. Hello. The stars are beautiful tonight. I see Cassiopeia here. And Cephas, her king. These who sat on thrones in Ethiopia declaring that they were greater than gods. This great crime of hubris. Defiling those statues. She saying her daughter Andromeda was more beautiful than Poseidon's Nereids. And all hell broke loose, you know. Hades sent the Kraken. 
And the word was that they would have to give their daughter as sacrifice to the sea monster, Cetus, or else their world would be destroyed. They refused in their contempt for spirit. But Andromeda, ever-reverent priestess who loved her community, walked with head held high, disrobing on the way to that sacrificial altar and chained herself, awaiting her death. But it didn't come, but instead a hero on the back of a winged horse of white, Pegasus, holding the severed head of a monster that turned that whale to stone. Perseus. Oh, how to get back on track. Well, let me talk about this. Let me talk about this relationship within, this relationship to spirit, this relationship of not only our Venus and our Mars, okay, our yin and our yang to find completion, but this relationship of this world, Saturn world, in the world that maybe you hear rustling through these leaves, even though that fact that I can hear it makes it more this world. And I'm talking about the world of the dream, the world of Neptune. How do we bring forth these visions? Because reality, Saturn, and Neptune, the dream, have been squaring off. And so we've seen some really beautiful things immediately since Jupiter ingressed Libra. We've seen some justice to those of hubris, the way that Cassiopeia here, it is said, is chained to her throne. So every night we will witness in her shame tipped upside down for the way that she defiled those statues and declared her greater than the gods themselves. This is a story perhaps we should rewrite. But how about those who have no respect for the land? How about in this time of Saturn, square Neptune? And given the truth, too, that the seed in 1989 was planted in the sign of Capricorn, this earth sign of the trunk and the roots, the true organic nature, the wisdom of the earth that speaks through her birds and her trees and the wind and the great grandmother guides, And now during this, most of this Saturn-Neptune square that began on Thanksgiving Day, yeah? Where in elementary school we're given these pictures of pilgrims and feather-wearing natives joyously sharing the bounty of farm-raised turkeys. Gobble, gobble, gobble. The pilgrims bringing great presents to those who are welcoming them as newcomers to this land. Okay. Nice to meet you. Would you like a smallpox blanket? 
So know that Saturn square Neptune opening up with their first perfection on Thanksgiving Day is not a coincidence, folks. And in the midst of this time, while both planets were retrograde, actually, perhaps just Saturn, yeah. Standing stone, yeah? The Lakota Sioux, over 200 tribes, many people that are non-native, joining their side in defense of sacred land, defense of the sacred. Think about that seed planted in Capricorn, and now Saturn and Sagittarius, okay? The opportunity to bring structures of sacred truth. Neptune and Pisces, the opportunity to, uh, to allow that spirit to come in. And connection and remembering that we are all one. Why would we drill these pipelines and poison the waters? What kind of delusional nightmare are we trapped within? Why can we not see? And know that traditionally speaking, Sagittarius and Pisces, where Saturn and Neptune have been aligning in the square, are both the homes of Jupiter. And Jupiter's ingress from Virgo, where he was opposite Neptune, and square Saturn to Libra, where the relationship with Neptune is interesting. Back in the day, they say that that quincunx, that 150-degree aspect, is one that is not seen. And that gets back to that whole two sixes thing I was talking about before that I like to call the sixes and the sexes. Talk for another time. But in modern times, it's said that, hey, Neptune is Pisces, man. <laughs> and now there is this mutual reception between Saturn and Jupiter. Saturn and Sagittarius, Jupiter's sign. Jupiter and Libra, the sign of Saturn's exaltation. They will reach perfect sextile thrice during Jupiter's Libra year. Actually, you know what? Only one time. Because when Jupiter stations retrograde at the bright goddess star Spica, the shaft of wheat, that the priestess of the sky holds in her hand, he won't quite have caught up to Saturn sextile yet. All right. Within two degrees when Jupiter stations retrograde on February 5th, 2017. And then he will station direct later next year, and they will find their exact Sextile alignment, August 27th, 2017. And there is a chance that we will make a lot of forward progress in this way of justice for sacred truth from now until that time. There is a chance that when Jupiter stations retrograde, we'll have to step back a little bit and then move forward. So we have some pretty amazing symbols of Jupiter moving into Libra. There was a ceasefire declared in Syria, but declared not in Syria, but for Syria by the United States and Russia, who actually haven't even officially declared war. 
In fact, Obama, and I'm actually very strengthened in hope by this, and I speak to this at length in my Washington Deciphered movie on YouTube, which I hope you'll check out. It's my, it's my best work yet, for sure, and it's weird. Um, but I spoke to, in length about this. Obama in 2013, in response to the so-called Syrian biochemical warfare by government on their own people, said he was declaring war. He didn't care what Congress had to say about it. He's making an executive decision. And we, the people, reminded, dude, that that's actually not how it works. Thank you very much. And thanks to social media, enough question was stirred up about, yeah, hmm, it's interesting if you trace the source of those biochemical weapons. And if you trace the source of the ones who are arming these rebels. And I kind of promised I would stick more to the themes of love here. But let me just say that the ceasefire that was declared on September 9th when Jupiter ingressed Libra, perhaps bringing some of this balance and justice and connecting this whole time signs sextile and mutual reception to Saturn and Sagittarius and defending higher truths. Let's just say that the ceasefire is a brilliant, beautiful idea on paper. And let's just take pause and breathe and not allow our hope to get ahead of us so that we will be distracted by what we hear in these so-called news and forget to find true balance by continuing to seek higher truth. Similarly, though the courts had declared that the native tribes who were standing against this pipeline and standing stone had no case, the Department of Justice, the Department of the Interior, and the U.S. Army released a statement on September 9th, also when Jupiter ingressed Libra and made this whole sign sextile the Saturn and mutual reception, that they were going to take a pause and they were going to ask the private company that had been contracted to lay the pipe to consider not building this section for a time <laughs> that would run over the sacred ground and under this pristine lake, ruining more water. That word pristine might be a stretch anywhere at this time, yeah? My understanding is that pipeline is built on both sides. It's going to be hard to believe that they won't choose to connect it. Hopefully a reroute will be an alternative. But if you read the language of this report that was very hopeful, uh, I guess feels kind of like a pipe dream. Oil itself is associated with Neptune, isn't it? Alcohol. Inebriation. (laughs) Delusion. And here we go. The attachment to the dream is the mother of disappointment. But this does not mean to stop dreaming. These expectations, this belief that when the news is written and we want to say, oh yes, it's true, okay. This trust 
and those who have not earned it is attachment to a dream that perhaps is false and is going to let us down will be the mother of disappointment. And that's when Neptune gets this really bad rap, folks. And that's when Saturn and Neptune in these squares can act really weird. And that's why Saturn and Neptune found their third perfection on 9-11, on this 15th anniversary with Pluto in the very middle of his 15-year Capricorn transit in retrograde, begging us to look back. And 15 is the card of the devil in the tarot and often associated with Capricorn. And 15, 1 plus 5 is 6, which is the number of the lovers. We hold hands between worlds with us and us, our dreamer self. These eclipses bring us in the opportunity for shadow work, for core shadow work. That's what it's about. Now, for reasons also that I've learned in my sacred geometry quest, to me, the sun is spirit and the moon is soul. And so the nodes are the places where they come together. And at these times when a new moon or a full moon meet at those crossing points of soul and spirit, solar eclipse or lunar eclipse. And what are they about? They are about the shadow. Yeah, this solar eclipse on September 1st, a ring of fire, an annular eclipse, seen over Africa and Madagascar. On that day, a SpaceX rocket ship blew up. Did you know that? It was bringing a satellite to extend communications, internet, over Africa in the very place where the eclipse was. How about that? And eclipses happen in families called cycles, 18 years, 11 days, and 8 hours. The 8 hours shifts them in every 18 years a third of the way around the globe. So the last time it was over Africa was 1962. And what happened that year? Well, JFK signed the ComSat law into Congress. Okay, that's poor, poor grammar or poor understanding of the political process. I'm guilty of both. And let's move on. So I'll speak more about Saro cycles sometime, especially as we're coming into the eclipses next year, the total solar eclipse that will come to the United States August 21st, 2017, because it's a powerful one that has links to the formation of the Chinese army in 1927, the largest army in the world, links to Hiroshima and Nagasaki and Kennedy's assassination and the Iran-Contra affair, but seems to have taken a shift at Y2K, I feel, and that we are here to help that energy transmute and move by connecting to it in ceremony. And so this is a thing that we can do with eclipses so that shadow does not happen to the world but for our world by engaging with it, by doing the shadow work because the light goes out 
because soul and spirit come together in this strange way where we do see that soul moon is closer to us than spirit, which cannot be seen. I cannot stare at the sun for too long. It is great mystery. It is the key of your song. I can gaze at the moon and see her light reflected to me. So I, I stare now into Capricorn space, but I'm staring at Virgo light, aren't I? And ideas of space and time all come together in this great relationship called phase. I've been comparing it in these gazillion <laughs> eclipse shorty readings I've been doing, and I am keeping that special alive all month if you're interested in hearing how this eclipse aligns to your nativity and your progressions and transits and these kinds of things. Holler more than astrology at gmail.com. And let's do this. It's been amazing to see how this one event is lining up for over 50 people I've talked to now. So 33 bucks and we'll spend half an hour to an hour on, on the horn talking about the planets. I sure would appreciate your support and the opportunity to learn more about these great heavenly workings. I've learned so much about eclipses in this time. Because as you know, my prayer when I put on my magic bracelet, including when I speak here to the recording device on these podcasts, is may the wisdom of this or these beautiful beings speak through me. And I thank you for that. And all of those who I'm honored to sit with and drink astralo tea. So a thing I've been saying is that it's like when you go into the club and the black light's on and suddenly you realize there's these stains on your shirt that cannot be seen in the light. The eclipse bringing this darkness makes it even darker. Yeah? So things that have been clinging on, old patterns, old programs, from a shamanic standpoint, maybe even entities, whatever, if you go there, all right? And we see these things that have been hiding in the darkness we bring our attention to them. Do we react in fear? Do we run away? You can, but I say wait. Have patience. The first quarter moon, the day of Jupiter's Libra ingress, bringing some balance, found the Sagittarius moon at the dragon's back, which is a story for another time, conjunct Mars. In Sagittarius, a fiery sacred sword that cuts anything that would keep us from knowing higher truth. And so we access the flaming sword. Do we want to use it right away? My invitation to many I spoke of before September 9th, including myself, was to get out and be with the moon and Mars. And you can still do this. You can be with Mars. And to show that martial artist your kung fu. To show him how you cut cords. Show them what you got and invite Sensei to come in and train you up a little bit. And somebody you're listening to, Astro Babble, right now might have had a little dream about a samurai the other night, which was pretty cool. 
it's so fun how we literally can invite specific dreams and how the planets will show up for us in people, in this world, in the world that we can't see, too. This eclipse in Virgo, across from Neptune and Pisces. Square, Saturn, and Sagittarius. This almost year-long Saturn-Neptune square, it's been going down since Thanksgiving Day 2015. And the solar eclipse aligns in Virgo, and it's kind of like, hey, yeah, yeah, reality versus the dream, super cool. You guys both have a point here. Let's get practical. What does it mean? How are you going to bring this into something that matters? Mercury retrograde at the time. Let's review how it's been. <laughs> how has it helped? How has it not? And let's be practical also when we read the news, okay? The first Saturn-Neptune square very close to the third Friday the 13th of 2015, which was the Paris attacks. The second one rather close to the, the Pulse situation in Florida. Both certainly nightmares, both terrible acts, both certainly deaths involved and very tragic and sad, and yet also both not necessarily what we were told they were. Go have a look if you would like, with a courageous heart, with that flaming sword in hand. And if you truly, on this 15th anniversary of that tragic happening that changed our world in a difficult and dark way, have a look again at 9-11. And have a look in a quest for truth within and don't wield that sword right away. So with Saturn and Neptune in this square, well, who is going to help them see one another and speak to one another? And that's why I gave the whole hot air balloon wrap before. <laughs> Uranus, now in Aries, Revolutions in the way of what? The warrior, perhaps. The pioneer. The mother bear who protects her cubs. What is it to be a sacred warrior? And Virgo will say, have you waxed on and waxed off? And it's a beautiful time to work on your practice. Not learning how to beat the bully up. Learning how to hold center, presence, to not be on the defense, to never be on the attack, to be centered, balanced. So you can respond, this is the way of the peaceful warrior. The greatest warrior in the world will never fight. Hmm. 
eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. And what are they? And how long are we at here? 90 minutes. Man, this guy just babbles. What house did that eclipse happen in for you? Where are Mars and Saturn and Sag in your chart? How are they aligning to other planets? Where is Neptune and Pisces? What about this full moon on September 16th? This lunar eclipse, though it won't be visible, a penumbral eclipse. Conjunct Chiron, the great centaur mentor who brought compassion and empathy into the world through the sacred wound by wounding himself. And this is why there is this chaos. This is why there is this darkness. And Uranus and Aries is giving us the opportunity to occupy ourselves, to tune into the nature of the warrior and also release some of that discord. Uranus conjunct Aries for the first time since 1927-28 at this time is very crucial in the unfoldment of the higher psyche now. And I'll be digging into that and how Uranus has been squaring Pluto way more in the prophecy of Prometheus' work. I'll speak about that some in another episode of this little mini-series when I speak about how Jupiter's shift from Virgo to Libra has changed his alignments both in the relationship to the Saturn-Neptune square and to the Uranus-Pluto square. Astrologers, take a deep look at that. Bringing the dream into reality and love, connection, and peace. Attachment to the dream is the mother of disappointment. This does not mean to stop dreaming. This means to stop attaching. I hear these things about in the news. Ceasefire, oh good, that's done. That is attachment to the dream, man. That is delusion. That is an opportunity to run away from the inner work available by seeing this chaos in the world without as a reflection of my inner chaos so that I can go clean up what is my 9-11, what is my Patriot Act, what unconstitutional novel did I sign to hide from dark inner truths that I don't have the courage to look at quite yet? And when am I ready to let those papers burn by going into those hidden places and seeing the light in the darkness and bringing it back? release the dream in my release of my attachment to it, in my release of the expectation of how it's meant to show in my world. 
the lesser of two evils. We're in it again, aren't we? Trumple Stiltskin. An embarrassing clown. Verse <laughs> Killery. I mean... <laughs> This isn't speaking about love, is it? Or is it? What is this chaos? How will it find resolution? How will we ever be in a place of peace when these psychopaths and idiots and maniacs are running their show with their finger on these buttons that could end the world? How are we ever meant to feel faith and hope when we are drowning in fear. Release the expectation of how it will be resolved, but know that it will keep the faith. Allow that turmoil in our outer world to be that mirror to reflect our inner turmoil to heal that within, to heal the world, and then see the beauty in it. Look to the tower card. Just, if you don't know it, search right now. Rider, weight, tower card. So much is available in that image. Think about these crumbling towers. What rises from those ashes? Freedom Tower? Interesting. Is it truly freedom? What about your Freedom Tower? What about your Faith Tower? That dark happening 15 years ago was also the catalyst for so many to release themselves from attaching to some dream that was handed to them of a reality that is not real. And it is unfolding now. At that time, Saturn in the 15th degree of Gemini on 9-11-2001, and we are now in the time of 9-11's Saturn opposition 15 years later. Pluto across the chart in Sagittarius where Saturn is aligning now, as has Mars. And we're hearing some interesting things on one side. Oh, by the way, we forgot to report this in the official um, commission, but Saudi was responsible. So you guys can sue them if you lost family members. Wait, what? Suddenly, that's okay to say, but it wasn't then. Are we not just paving the way to justify another terrible war? And I meant to finish this thread earlier that I find so much hope in 2013 in the executive saying he's going to war without permission from we the people, and yet we stood up and said no. And Congress, though they decided to finish their vacation before they assembled to talk about it, did end up casting the votes that actually reflected what we were saying. The social media awareness of Standing Stone, of resistance to the Dakota Pipeline. Yeah? That thing's been happening since April 
and hand on heart, I have to admit, I didn't hear about it till like the last month. Uranus and Neptune came together in 1993 and some wild things happened, including the internet, electricity, Uranus, connection, Neptune. And here we are. And so yes, now we are being spied on. And yes, we can also do the spying. And so towers crumbled and what rose? Have you chosen to eat that specific red pill? That little tab with the towers on it? Well, if you do, be careful. It's a whole other world on the other side. And so, as we walk down, back towards the waters, let's bring this back to the waters of the heart. Let's speak about love, and let's speak about manifestation. Let's speak about Galahad, and let's speak about dreams. I want to tell you this that at the time of the solar eclipse in Virgo, September 1st, that opposition to Neptune, the square to Saturn, they were just one Gemini away from a perfect mutable grand cross. I mean, this was a very legitimate T-square. Saturn and Neptune, like 10 degrees in the 11th degree, and the eclipse in the 10th degree, the nodes in the 13th degree, I think. I mean, it was very strong, right? Nothing in Gemini. And so we engaged with the hundreds of thousands of tracked asteroids, also the bright star Alderaan, the eye of the bull, the ascendant on the soul song of yours truly, and something in the 10 to 15 degree or 8 to 14 degree maybe Gemini space for you was grand crossed by these other energies, and so was the asteroid Algira, Altjira, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Maybe Altjira, who's, I don't know much about, but was the creator god in Australia, the creator god of dream time. Huh. Saturn-Neptune square in perfect alignment, being T-squared by the Virgo solar eclipse, aligned as a grand cross to the asteroid god of dream time. And we know, I believe most of us, that the story is the aboriginals say this world The Saturn world is the dream. The place we go when we rest and eyes closed is reality. Very interesting, that. The solar eclipse was conjunct the asteroid Hopi. There are two asteroids named after Native American tribes. There is not a Lakota or Dakota or Sioux. There is Hopi and there is Navajo. And I don't know where Navajo was at the time of this eclipse, but Hopi was in basically a perfect alignment. So these asteroids, you know, I mean, they can just expand this thing till we have so many points in the chart that every degree is filled. But they can be pretty incredible. Magdalena. Magdalene, okay? In Sagittarius. 
conjunct Saturn. Isn't it interesting with this Virgo solar eclipse when we're asked to go into the shadows of Virgo to see these ways that the priestess was converted, that the true virgin priestess, okay, Dakini and Tantrika, who has been utterly U-turned into celibacy and chastity through foul manipulation of this Virgo leaf who reaches for the light and does the work that feeds the tree. Virgin does not mean celibate. Isn't it amazing and shocking that the Pope in our time has declared Magdalene to be on the same sacred level as the Twelve Disciples? Can you believe that? What an amazing and beautiful thing. Let's hope that sticks. Let's maybe also open ourselves to the potential subterfuge available there, but I don't see it. And I'm, as far as I'm concerned, looking at Magdalene right now, and she's reflecting the light of Christ, both aligned to one of the twelve disciples or signs. Yes, I think that Christ is a key word for the sun. In Magdalene, his wife was the moon, is the moon. And the twelve signs are the disciples. And that is not the first way they've been put forth. All right, so Magdalene in on this mix. So was Aphrodite in Virgo, the, the goddess asteroid Aphrodite, the goddess of love. Now, there are many forms of love, but this, all right, is beauty love and passion love. And, you know, intimate love. Conjunct the Virgo solar eclipse. What are some of the shadows of Virgo and priestess in that renunciation, in that bearing of the virgins who would break their oaths of chastity and all this disruption that we're dealing with that would just keep us from feeling love, baby? And I like having started this thing with Taurus on the rise. And even that a porter carrying a heavy load, that 13th degree of Taurus that was rising when we had our breath with, of remembrance at 9-11 on 9-11. Taurus, man, sensuality, the fruit. All right, Capricorn is the trunk and the roots. Virgo is the leaf reaching for the light. And Taurus is the fruit and the flower that wants to be tasted and smelled and pollinated, and that's just as necessary for the tree being for the earth, which is the temple of our body. And long live Aphrodite. (laughs) And I mentioned uh, Playa Duster and this mix that Christian invited me to speak on last year and just came out. And there's some really beautiful beings who pour tea at the Synchronicity House that shows up at festivals and just blesses us with beautiful, sacred, wonderful, herbal, and mostly great old Chinese teas. Brilliant tea people. And the tea spirit itself, you've heard me speak about it before perhaps, and there's certainly not time to go there now, a very Virgo essence, but a very open, loving essence that holds it down, that keeps presence even in the midst of the occasional chaos on the festival scene. Last year, I'd imagine it was the Virgo solar eclipse 
opposite Chiron, and we saw some of that, especially at the Sacred Fire. And that's one thing I'll be speaking about at the Imagine Festival next week at Dobe in Orcas Island. If you're a Northwester, you gotta be there. <laughs> you gotta. All right, Aphrodite conjunct this eclipse. Osiris in Sagittarius with Saturn. Osiris, the green man. He and Isis, his consort, who brought to us agriculture and many things of what it is to be a civilized being and is the king of the underworld and the afterlife in the heavenly realms. And Osiris is now in the sky as Orion. And if you would like to hear a lot about my study of strange people in the way that they're worshiping Isis and Osiris, and we all should. And they, in a way, are the original Joseph and Mary for their child Horus was certainly the immaculately conceived son. Uh, check out Deciphering Washington, the Star Mysteries of D.C. on YouTube. I'm really proud of it, and I would love to know what you think. I feel it's my most original and exciting and kind of mind-blowing discoveries yet during my short astronaut career. A centaur called Asbolus was aligned to the new moon eclipse, the solar eclipse from Gemini. He's a centaur that lives like Chiron out there beyond the visible planets and the invisible. And Chiron tends to connect Saturn to Uranus. You can go a little bit beyond this centaur, Asbolus, who is a great seer, an augur, one who brought divination through birds. It's a very Gemini essence. Runs all the way from the orbit of Jupiter to Neptune. And I'm just not going to talk about that besides it's everything I've been talking about tonight. And <laughs> I'm stoked to hear more about this centaur. He's involved in the Chiron story that also kind of shifts into the Folo story, another centaur who's like the myths are very kind of confusing around which ones Chiron or Folos actually did get poisoned or drop the poison arrow into themselves. And Pholos will be really strongly aligned to Mars and Sagittarius, squaring the lunar eclipse on September 25th, where there will also be alignments to Pandora. Speak about the demonization of the feminine. Minerva, goddess of wisdom, a very interesting story of the virgin. In Virgo, aligned to the sun during the, solar, the lunar eclipse on September 25th. Osiris still aligned, traveling with Saturn, I guess. Or no, traveling fast, moving all the way from Saturn to Mars between eclipses. And Cupido, all right, god of love. Also, Amor, love itself. And maybe I'll speak more about the lunar eclipse another time. Probably not. But what I do want to say here is to speak about Galahad, who was in Gemini completing the T-square to this 
solar eclipse on September 1st, opposite Neptune, square Saturn, Galahad and the Gemini side completing the mutable Grand Cross. And Galahad was the pure knight, the only one who could achieve the grail. Now he and Percival and Bors showed up and found it together in three, which is very interesting because that is a Mercury number, is it not? And let us honor Galahad and our friend Mercury in those. Gemini wins that blow and bring truth, though sometimes it's rather confusing to see and hold. The pure knight came from a pretty unpure union. A king, Pelus. had a vision that his daughter, Elaine, would give birth to the pure knight by Galahad. Now the issue here, I'm sorry, not by Galahad. Galahad was the child, by Lancelot. And the issue here is that we know Lancelot was deeply in love with Guinevere, King Arthur's wife and queen. He struggled with that, of course. The king, Pelis, went to an enchantress who gave him a ring of power that when Elaine wore this disguised her as Guinevere, made her look like Guinevere, and Lancelot came to her, slept with her, impregnated her. When she revealed her true self and that she was not Guinevere, he split. But when he heard that she was pregnant, I guess he did the right thing and helped out. Now, the child, Galahad, ended up being raised by a nun. Lancelot ended up, through this experience, admitting his love for Guinevere to King Arthur. See that? Confusion, delusion, this trick, this nightmare brought this awakening and truth emerged. Galahad, when he was fully grown, came onto the scene. Lancelot found him, knighted him. He came to the round table. He came to Arthur's court, was led by a mysterious old knight who brought him to this chair that was reserved only for the purest knight. And any who had tried to sit there before had died in that moment. Galahad came, and the name that spoke of the pure knight suddenly said Galahad on the tag. And he claimed his rightful place. He didn't die. And Arthur then took him, interestingly, to a sword in the stone that said it could only be pulled by the pure knight, clearly connecting Galahad to Arthur himself, though a very different sword than Excalibur. He then was welcomed to become a knight of the round table. And when he sat there, they all had a vision of the grail. And they all went and sought and most died. Galahad and Percival and Bors, after many happenings, and it's worth your time, found the grail. 
What was it? Some say it was this cup that Joseph of Arimathea, who gave his tomb that had been reserved for him when he died, gave it to Christ after the crucifixion. And that when he moved Christ's body from the cross to this tomb, that he collected Christ's blood into this cup. Some suggest uh, the last cup that Christ had drank from, we know, at the Last Supper. Some say, as most of us know, in the whole idea of holy blood, holy grail, if you've read the book or if you saw the movie that bited from it or read that book, The Da Vinci Code, that this is actually the bloodline of Christ because he, like the sun and the moon, were married to Magdalene and that she had children and that this line, many suggest it would be more the mitochondrial line, this blood has pumped through the hearts of basically all world leaders since. That's an interesting study too. Go there, if you will, and I find it very interesting that both the asteroids, Magdalena and Galahad, were connected in the square, and I did not really know that they were connected in story. And I'm excited, I guess, to hear more about Joseph of Arimathea. Because my last name is his first. Now... Galahad, when he retrieved the grail, it is said had a vision of Arimathea and that one of the things that was given to him was his choice of when he would die. And that, long story short, (laughs) super short, he basically chose to remain pure and to ascend to the heavens and it is said that no knight will retrieve the grail after him. And I encourage you to to read into the Grail stories. They're very interesting. And is the Grail some cup? Is it some bloodline? Is it the Philosopher's Stone? Is it something to obtain in the world without or in our inner realms? Or to bring forth from the dream realms into our reality? Or to find in the dream once we allow ourselves to release reality? And what is it that the only knight who was pure enough to claim and attain the grail came from such an unpure happening? This deception, this false image that Elaine wore of Guinevere's face that encouraged Lancelot to engage with an adultery that actually wasn't anyway. To open the door for many further cheatings of Guinevere and Lancelot. And, all right. So, and Arthur, too. Arthur came from this strange union, you know. His father, Uther, had such core lust for this woman who was also married. And in very similar fashion, though I guess in ways opposite, Arthur, Uther, sorry, Arthur's father, Uther, had Merlin cast a spell on him so that he would look like this woman's husband, spend a night in her bed, and the result was Arthur. 
who Merlin stashed away, raised by people, not knowing that he was a Pendragon and the heir to the throne until he poured the, pulled the sword from the stone. <laughs> and later, his half-sister, the older sister of this woman that his father Uther took advantage of in disguise, had a son that would eventually kill Arthur. Arthur. And there's all sorts of ways we can relate this to the green man and the year king and the solar cycles and the stewardship of the earth and all sorts of themes that I've touched upon here today and we don't want to take another hour for me to philosophize about them, but may those be windows for you to travel through if you so choose. My intent here to wrap this up in sharing that the pure knight came from such impurity, his recognition by this king who came from the same, this king who was also trapped in a marriage that was not pure. And was it perhaps that he was weighing it down through some greed of need because that is something I will caution myself and us all, if you welcome that invitation to avoid in this time of Jupiter expanding the Libra essence, the greed of need for that partnership and soulmate, that attachment to that dream, which would keep it from manifesting into reality. And so finally, for keys to manifestation that I find, first of all, speak to Uranus in your chart. See the way that it brings Neptune and Pluto into the visible realm. See those outer planet energies as generational, yes, as we astrologers study, but see them also in their aspects to visible planets. See how they are seen through Mercury or Venus or Mars or Jupiter and Saturn, Moon, Sun. See where they are in their phase, but see... Play this game with Uranus as a messenger between the worlds of the visible and the worlds of the invisible. Work with your Uranus in that regard. It's opening huge windows for me in my own study of self and my, in my practice and in, in my sharing with, with people. <clears throat> amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. And the other thing is in this quest of manifestation. So the list, okay? Here's you're calling forth the perfect partner. You're going like, to write this detailed list of just what this guy is. All right, he does this. He's got this kind of free time. He makes you know, me feel like this. His hair looks like this, whatever. The more they would say, many would say, that the way to manifest your true love is to know every detail of him and write it down, create him into your reality. And I will say the exact opposite. I will say that the more concrete you are about what he looks like, the less opportunity you allow for him to come in. We are here to grow and shift and change. Are you attracted to exactly what you were attracted to 10 years ago? Why not allow the space to be surprised? If you're going to write that thing on the list, write 
something that cannot be written in words. What do you long for? How does it feel to have that thirst quenched and to answer that in balance, to be in that sacred way? Feel that energetic. That is the current of the river that your beloved will sail down to meet you. The perfect partner description in every detail is attachment to some dream and it's keeping us from allowing the true dream to come to us. It is the energetic and this has been said in many ways, you know, intention, prayer of how to cast that spell, if you were, will, without, I would say, spelling it into the world or casting some fishing line out to catch one of these many fish in the sea, you see. Lay with the waters of the dream and allow them to come to you. And this, of course, is not only for some beloved, some partner. Your work in this world, are you connected to it? Are you serving in the way that you know you should? Are you receiving abundance for that? How do you bring that in? Attachment to the dream is the mother of disappointment. This does not mean to stop dreaming. Allow it to be an energetic occurrence. We build these things in our dream world. And learning how to cross it over from that place into this reality. And vice versa, I will say. How many times have you quit that job or left that relationship that was weighing you down? Or it quit you or left you? It's all the same. But in your dream experience, you were still in it. Even years later. You see, it takes time through our energetic attachments and agreements to release one thing in this world before it's released in the other, to achieve one thing in the other before it's achieved in this world, and not forcing it is allowing the truth that we are to and not to. We are spirit and soul. We are sun and moon. We are yin and yang. We are the rests and the notes in this sacred song. This is your friendly astronaut Gemini Brett signing off. Thank you for joining me on this long two-hour walk through this sacred space. Love and planets to you.